0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by toughpigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch the Muppets take Manhattan two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand.
1: And I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe.
0: And joining us today, we have a
2: first-time guest. Tell us who you are, guest. I'm Carolyn Wiesner, a long, long long-time Muppet fan and Tough Pigs member. One of the Tough Pig founding members, right? Like... I, I was I jumped on board as soon as it opened up. So
1: uh, yes, a first-time podcast guest, but a long-time Muppet fan friend.
0: And Carolyn is joining us today to talk about minutes twenty-three and twenty-four of the Muppets Take Manhattan. In these minutes, the Muppets finish saying goodbye to one another and also the song, and Kermit goes to the Empire State Building. So we hear a little bit of of saying goodbye here, but Carolyn, you weren't here last week. And anything in general you want to say about that song before we? Uh,
2: it's really sad, <laughs> and uh, I mean, as a kid in particular, th- this is like the song uh, that would go through my head if a pet died. Is saying goodbye, oh, 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 oh. and I was just talking to my sister about it, and she's like, "Yeah, when our dog Dexter died, I was thinking of saying goodbye." And she's like, actually, Muppets Take Manhattan. The whole thing is sad, not just that song. So it was kind of an interesting way to view this movie. That it's 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 got a lot of down parts to it. Well, it it does,
0: and also like these two minutes are all a down part. Like there's mm-hmm. there's nothing funny
2: in this entire scene.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I feel like we should apologize to you for giving you these minutes because this this is one of the saddest parts.
2: <laughs> well, I I love sad. Sad's great, but also watching this. I'm realizing that even though this song is sad, it's also kind of absurd because if they were just people, you know, talking to each other and saying goodbye, it's like, okay, it's a goodbye scene. But I mean, there were chickens and dogs and things, riding buses and and Fozzie has a teddy bear. So it's still a little (laughs) absurd.
1: It Um, is, but that doesn't really occur to you when you're just watching it.
2: No, especially not as a kid. But when I sat here right. and rewatched the same two minutes over and over again, yeah, it seems a little silly that a bunch of Muppet heads pop up around Fozzie holding a bindle and a teddy bear on a train.
1: <laughs> right. But it, yeah, that says a lot about how much the audience has just come to accept and love the Muppets as characters. By They're just point. people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, I guess we should get into some of the, specifics here. So we start with Ralph, who's saying uh, we'll meet again not sure quite where and I don't know just when. Which we, we talked about Ralph on the bus last time I think but this is followed up by the Electric Mayhem who are all hitchhiking together and-
1: Yeah and it's a really cool shot where it starts with just a close shot of Ralph's head sticking out the bus as he sings and then the camera continues to follow the bus as it goes down the road and then kind of pans over to see the Electric Mayhem on the side of the road
0: Right. And well, and like you mentioned in an earlier episode, Ryan, that like the electric mayhem are all a unit in this movie more than more than anyone else, really. And like that's never more striking than it is here where the Muppets are all going their separate ways. But the electric mayhem are all staying together as a group to like find their fortune by, you know, as as an as a unit, not as like five individuals scattered to the wind. You know,
1: yeah, they're not going to five different places,
0: right? Which, like, reminds do do you guys remember in the K Ballard episode where Floyd thinks that the Muppet show isn't hip, so the band threatens to quit the show? Yeah, yeah. kind of what this reminds me of because, like, there they're all gonna quit together uh, as well, right? Like, it's not just Floyd quitting, it's like the whole band is gonna quit because they're a team, right? Yeah, and I feel like they're the only Muppets, kind of, who are. I guess we have Gonzo and Camilla too.
1: Well, I would say, I mean, we don't see them here, but uh, Bunsen and Beaker, I think, are also sort of one unit.
0: Yeah, that's true. Bunsen and Beaker are not really in this movie, hardly. I mean, they are, but, like, barely.
1: Right. It's like... Yeah, for whatever reason. I mean, I I guess our, our sort of main group of characters is large enough. They could have had Bunsen and Beaker in here as... Yeah, you know, two more students who have just graduated with Kermit and the gang. But I feel like it was that would have been too many characters.
0: You know what they could have done was have Bunsen be their college professor who's attending the that would have been musical because he seems like he's an old man.
1: He's yeah. like a chemistry professor. Yeah, he
0: like already has an advanced degree, right? He's not graduating from college. Does he? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, I, I also wanted to point out. Um, So, the the Electric Mayhem are hitchhiking on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. You can see the sign in the background. Um, I looked this up on Wikipedia. This is an east-west toll highway, which runs for 360 miles across Pennsylvania uh, from the Ohio State line uh, to the New Jersey border. So, I I guess, I don't know if this, we see later that the, the band, oh, no, no. Okay. So, we see later that Ralph ends up in Delaware. So if he's taking this bus, I, I think it is plausible enough that the bus would go on the New Jersey Turnpike for part of that trip.
0: Well, and aren't the Electric Mayhem in like Wisconsin? Yeah, I or, forgot like, to look up where they end up. Way out west of New York, like. Yeah, I mean they're like at some sort of polka festival.
2: I oh, so thought maybe they, they were in Pennsylvania, but not my. Oh, minutes, are they? So
0: yeah, maybe they are.
2: Yeah, maybe but, they. Anyway, I was going to say that I I noticed the turnpike sign as well, because we don't have turnpikes in the Pacific Northwest. And I had to look it up and like, oh, it's the only thing I've only heard it associated with like New Jersey or Pennsylvania. There's there's no Oregon or Washington turnpike. I don't know why.
1: No, I don't think I was familiar with turnpikes until I moved to New York City or like I had heard of the New Jersey turnpike, but no, they don't have them in Texas. I don't
2: know why, but.
1: Yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I still don't know. What, I still have no idea what it means. Like I don't. We don't have them anywhere I've ever lived.
1: Uh, well, it's a pike, and you drive your car on it, and sometimes you turn. I don't know.
0: Ryan, a pike oh. is the name of a fish, man. Like that's <laughs> not the name of a str- of a road outside of the context. The whole
1: of road a is shaped pike. like a fish.
0: That would be fine. Oh, okay. New, Zeal- New Zealand, that dude's going to show up later. Yeah,
1: I don't know. We in in <laughs> Texas cities, we didn't have uh, turnpikes, but we had loops. Did you guys have
0: loops like traffic sure. circles?
1: Like it, no, like a big loop that goes all around the city. In San Antonio, oh. there's Loop Four Ten, which goes all over the city, and then Loop Sixteen O Four, which is on like on the outside of the city.
0: Yes, St. Louis and Kansas City have those, which are near where I used to live, but not where I live now. So nothing. Oh okay. so no.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Interesting.
0: Um but yeah, so we next we see Fozzie. And Fozzie's holding the teddy bear and he's riding the rails like a big boy. <laughs> and it is so cute. Why does he have a teddy bear, gang? Uh,
1: well Fozzie had a teddy bear in the Great Muppet Caper too.
0: Yeah, is that right?
1: I don't know if it's me. the same one, but uh yeah, I guess it's uh, you know it's a comforting A comforting thing for him.
0: Do you think that Fozzie stole Big Bird's teddy bear on the highway? No,
2: (laughs) no, Fozzie wouldn't do that. And Big Bird's not Jay Leno, so (laughs) extra wouldn't do it.
0: Yeah, that's
1: true. He only steals from his His, hero, Jay Leno. He doesn't think of Big Bird the same way.
0: No, he has two comedy <laughs> idols. It's Jay Leno and Milton Berle, but not Big Bird. <laughs> right.
1: But do you think Jay Leno has a teddy bear?
0: Uh, he has a car shaped like a teddy bear. Probably. <laughs> All right. So uh, anyways, Fozzie sings some more lines. We uh, we see the
1: Fozzie has the line, want to smile, want to cry, saying goodbye, which I think is another very good poetic line in this song.
0: Well, and I think also like the line right before that is you're in my heart. So until then, which, um, you know, like as, as Muppet fans, we, I mean, like I'm talking about like the online Muppet community, right. As like friends who don't see each other in person much. Right. We talk about that kind of stuff a lot. You know, I, I think we talk more about like, there's not a word yet for old friends who just met or whatever. Yeah. From the Muppet movie. But this is another one like, like you, for example, Ryan, I haven't seen you in seven years, man.
1: In person, in real right. Life? That's right. correct.
0: You know? And, but, but you're in my heart.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right back so, at you. Yeah. So, and like, the, the, um, I'm sure the next time we see each other in real life, it'll just be like, like we have been seeing each other all the time.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what that line reminds me of, always. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then the Muppets all agree because Fozzie's head. Uh, as I think Carolyn already mentioned, Fozzie's headed surrounded by the whole Muppet gang, except for Kermit, which and we, we will see why not Kermit in a, in a second. But we have clockwise from Fozzie. We have Janice, Floyd, Animal, Piggy, Gonzo and Camilla hugging like with their arms around each other, which is great. That's adorable. Uh, Ralph, Scooter, Dr. Teeth and Zoot. They're all there. They're all singing. La, 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 la. <laughs>
1: I'm so glad you named them all in clockwise order.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that too. Um, I, felt, I felt like we should be complete. I don't know. Yeah, that's what this podcast mm-hmm. is for, right? I,
1: I feel like well, we haven't seen a shot quite like this in in these Muppet movies yet.
2: I, I was going to say that that the shot is very interesting, and my my husband does photography, and I was trying to ask him how how do they? It's like how many exposures is that? Do they have to shoot every single Muppet individually against a black screen, and then? Hmm put together like 12 different frames of film to make this happen. Unless
1: they just did it with a bunch of puppeteers all at once. But I don't know, that yeah. might be harder. Arc. I don't know.
2: Yeah. So that's you should get question. the editor of this movie on here. Or I actually, I don't even know if that's who would do it. I forget Special if, effects person.
1: if he's still around. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. We haven't, it feels a little bit, we were talking before the recording about the, uh, the music video that accompanied the release of this movie, it feels a little bit like something from a music video, maybe just you're thinking about somebody and they're like the, the moving image of them appears above your head.
2: Yeah. I guess I also kind of had thirties musicals in mind looking at this. Maybe it's because the plot of this movie is sort of a thirties musical, but it seems like Busby Berkeley numbers in the movies would sometimes have a, a little circle of a head or different layers and dissolves mm. over the top of them
0: yeah right, right um the the other thing that it reminds me of is actually this same year the doctor who episode caves of androzani where uh peter davison dies and turns into colin baker right as he's dying all the heads of his former companions all float around him saying don't die doctor don't die ah, i don't and remember then, that and then the master's head pops up and says die doctor die doctor <laughs> it's great but but that's 1984 also so yeah. i don't know if it was if it was just like they could they had some kind of new video editing software that well, made it easy to like surround a character with floating heads
1: right so that's my first thought on that is doctor who was all shot on videotape right
0: uh no well out exteriors were on film but yeah the interiors would have been videotaped, which mm. this was
1: okay so I wonder if for a shot like that would they have shot those floating heads on film and then superimposed them somehow I have no idea yeah
0: yeah maybe I don't I'm sure I'm sure you could look that up for Doctor Who because yeah every every second of that classic series is like documented.
1: Yeah,
0: early by by decades of Doctor Who magazine when the show was off the air, you know. Definitely,
1: yeah. Well, I guess I'm I'm glad that none of these floating heads are telling Fozzie or Kermit to die.
2: <laughs> yeah, and the mayhem do yeah. each get their own bubbles, even though they're all together. Oh yeah, that's nice. I, that's I guess true, it would yeah. look awkward. Oh,
1: I was going to say too. Do you think uh, Animal is actually singing along with all these words? Because <laughs> we <just laughs> la la la. We've talked about how Animal doesn't. Always, or like even before, when the whole mayhem is singing, It's Time for Saying Goodbye, we've talked about how Animal doesn't always speak in complete sentences, he has a very limited vocabulary. So, is he just kind of following like he's just like like maybe a second behind everyone else, but just following their cue? And it's like, "Uh, It's time for say goodbye, (laughs) like
0: that, like that, like that guy in Pee Wee's Big Adventure who says her ghost, a split second after everyone else in the diner says <laughs> sure. her ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that animals, guy. Animals just like that guy. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I laugh every time I think about Pee-wee's big adventure.
1: Uh, yeah, um, for good reason.
0: Yeah, it's great. Good but one. but then uh, so Fozzie's head fades away and the other Muppet friends all stay for a minute while Kermit is walking forlornly we are we replace Fozzie riding forlornly with kermit walking forlornly yeah and just then, a,
1: just a quick note from the uh march i didn't write it down this time march 7th uh, 1983 draft of the screenplay um the, the draft specifies that kermit is singing the song as it continues like the last voice you would hear singing is kermit oh, but wow. that's not what mm-hmm. we see in the movie
0: yeah and i i kind of think not because Kermit is just, like, super bummed out right now, man. Yeah, I He's, think like, it's better for crazy. him to just
1: hear the voices of his friends echoing. Yeah.
2: Well, well and right. he is the one who's staying in the place that they originally went to. He's staying in New York. That's right. Where else is. Yeah. yeah. Well, supposedly.
0: Yeah. Oh, spoilers, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. So then the music fades. And this is what struck me watching this two minutes at a time the music fades and we just watch Kermit walk in the dark for nine more seconds. Yeah. Like we'll pass by shadows pass over him. A siren goes off. Right. Like, like in big, you know, like New-, New York is a place where sirens go off. Always in movies to like signify that it's a big city. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, like we we're talking about, like, this is one of the bleakest moments, right? Kermit's friends are all gone. He's just walking sadly. Like,
2: But you really get to appreciate Jim Henson's acting ability here. Mm -hmm. Kermit's not saying anything or singing anything. There's not really a lot of music going on in these moments. He's just moving his hand a little bit to give you some facial expression.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, And you feel sad for him. Right. Yeah, poor little buddy. He's good. Yeah, it really works. (laughs) Jim Henson was good at his job. Yeah. Hot take. Jim Henson was good at his job. You
1: heard it here first, folks.
0: Um, And so then the next thing we see when we finally cut away from Kermit after those nine seconds, we see the empire state building and then now Kermit's shadow approaching it on a wall.
1: Yeah. I like that shadow. I hadn't noticed that before, but we see it first before we see Kermit.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Just the lonely shadow of a lonely frog.
0: Yeah. It really helps. And I know that this movie is like far from a film noir, right? It's really not, but like that shot kind of feels like
2: one. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Well, and that's probably a, that seems like a Frank Oz decision there, right? That, that he uh, would want to play around with that kind probably. of I mean, I mean, this is his first solo directing job, so I think there's a lot of interesting shots in here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and right. I actually forget the name of the cinematographer, but uh he he did a good job with that.
2: Mhm.
0: Right. We will we will insert his name from our earlier episode where we discussed him.
1: Right. The cinematographer whose name is Robert Painter, BSc.
0: Yep, that's that guy. the guy. That's, that's the chap. <laughs> um, and then, so what? But what's the Empire State Building? We should talk about that. Yeah, uh, Empire State Building was built in the year 1931, and it appeared in the movie King Kong two years after that. And those are the great moments in the history of the Empire State Building until this movie
1: when it was uh, completed. It was <laughs> the tallest building in the world. I, I
2: noticed that you are specifically leaving out the Meg Ryan. Tom Hanks' classic Empire State Building <laughs> moment, right? But that was after this. That was after this. Was oh, I thought you said that was all. Of the Empire <laughs> State Building was known forever until this movie. I said, <laughs> okay, <laughs> and up until this yeah. movie. Yes, that's all.
0: And I, I guess it would be an affair to remember then, right? Like the the yeah, Grant Debra Carr movie that, mm-hmm. that they talk about extensively in Sleepless in Seattle. That movie is like ninety five percent Nora Ephron's thoughts on an affair to remember. Sure. Yeah, that's that's entirely true. Yeah. No, I'm not complaining, mind you. <laughs> um,
1: the Empire State Building, though, it was the tallest building in the world until 1972 when mm-hmm. the World Trade Center was built in New York. Um, after we lost the World Trade Center, it was still the tallest building in New York um, until 2012 when the new One World Trade Center went up. But now it's actually number seven because in recent years, people just keep building these super tall uh, residential buildings and office buildings. So
0: that's kind of terrifying.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really like it. I, I want the, the Empire State Building to be way up there on the list. But yeah, it's number yeah. seven now. It'll probably just keep going down.
0: Right. That's weird.
1: Everyone wants to have the tallest building. Yeah. Have
2: you guys both been up on top of the Empire State Building?
1: I have a um, long time ago, actually not since I've lived here even, not since I've lived in New York, because the line is mm-hmm, always really long and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem worth it. But I have been there many years ago.
0: So I've never been there. I, we went, when the last time I was in New York, which again, seven years ago, uh, my wife Raz and I went up to the top of the Chrysler building instead. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because the lines were shorter.
2: That makes sense. I, uh when we went, I was an older teenager, and it was a very cloudy day, so there wasn't much line, and we're like, we're just going to do it anyway, and so we kept like looking for little glimpses of the city and amongst yeah. the clouds. That's kind of fun, though. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. it was. So there wasn't too many people up there, so it was a little more fun. Yeah. And I uh, I reread uh, your interview with what was his name, David Mish, the person who did polish in this script.
1: Yes. So you,
2: were you going to mention that?
1: yeah but he uh, do you want to he wanted it?
2: something different oh well, you're the one who uh, interviewed him, so okay go ahead.
1: <laughs> um so in our our tough pigs interview with David Mish, who was a script consultant he he worked with Frank Oz on these drafts um, he mentioned a gag that he wrote that didn't make the final cut like it was never even filmed. But um, he said, when Kermit, distraught at his failure to get the show on Broadway, goes to the Empire State Building at night and takes an elevator to the top, I suggested that when the elevator arrived, the camera should stay on Kermit as, in the background, two gigantic gorilla legs exit the elevator. <laughs> I,
2: think I, do not, I do not like that, actually, so what? I'm glad that didn't... It doesn't
0: work for this movie.
1: No, no. well, I think it's a funny... Idea, but it would be completely inappropriate in this scene.
0: Well, like, that's a gag from the Muppet Show comic strip, like from this time.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. You're absolutely right.
0: Done that. That's like like Guy Gilchrist's signature, is like, you know, (laughs) there's some, some like pop culture reference in the third panel. Yeah.
1: I think they could have gotten away with something like that in The Great Muppet Caper, maybe. But yeah. yeah, But,
0: but what, but what famous monsters ever attack London? They're not going to have um, a Nazi, Ryan.
1: I don't know. There must have been
0: one. Yeah, it was the Nazis in 1940.
1: Oh, yikes. That's true.
0: <laughs> Dark. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but it's true. It's, that's the
2: one.
1: Uh, I'm trying trying to remember from that Mystery Science Theater song about how every country has... A, about all the
2: kaiju. Yeah.
1: Yeah, every country has a monster, but I can't remember the one for England.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember that episode. I'm sure I've seen it.
1: Uh it's one of the, the newer ones. Like one of the it's, it's the, the one with Bigfoot, one. right? Um it's it's they're watching a monster movie. I forget what the movie is called.
0: It was a Netflix one? Yeah. Was it mm-hmm. Reptilicus?
1: Yes, that's the one.
0: Yes. Okay, I go. saw that. Yeah, I saw that one.
1: Anyway, everybody yeah. should go check that out.
0: Yeah, that show yeah, was good, show. good. I wish they would have made more new seasons. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh yeah. So, anyways, what we do get is we don't get Gorilla Legs, but we do get Kermit um walking up to the Empire State Building and, in fact, taking the elevator up. And here's the thing. Like, when Kermit, right before he gets on the elevator, when he looks up at the Empire State Building, I'm not sure why, but I feel like that shot defines Muppets Take Manhattan for me. Like, when I think of this movie, I think of Kermit looking up at the Empire State Building for mm. whatever reason. I, I, I don't know why.
1: That's interesting. What do, what do you think that you think that encapsulates something about the movie or the tone of it? I,
0: I think so, just because the tone is more like low key and realistic. And, yeah, and like we've talked about, sadder, like, y- you know, in The Great Muppet Caper, like we talked about, um, Fozzie is like making jokes about the English River, the Thames right. being the English River. And like in the Muppet movie, like when they're, when they see Hollywood, Dr. Teeth just like, yeah, we're having breakfast at Hollywood and Vine, ah, you know,
2: right.
0: And in this one, it's just like, Kermit looks up at the Empire State Building like brokenhearted because his friends have all left and their dream is dead.
1: Yeah, it's not just a thrilling place to be. It's also yeah, a it's real like, city that doesn't care about them.
0: Yeah, it's very different. And I like I, I kind of don't even know why it works as well as it does. Yeah. Because like this movie could very easily be too much of a downer, like no fun, but somehow like it's just forlorn enough and still funny and entertaining.
1: Yeah, it still I'm has a kinda, lot of great jokes in it.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of not sure how they manage that balance so well. I guess yeah. we have another hour plus to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, so then uh, Kermit goes up to the, to the, gets on the elevator, and then he arrives at the observation deck, and that's the end.
2: Yeah, so. and he just stays up there for the rest of the movie. Although, actually, this know. may be where Jason Siegel stopped watching this movie.
0: <laughs> so... <laughs>
2: That that experience, that's where Kermit's been for the last twenty. years. Jason Siegel
1: just thinks Kermit is a character who's just sad all the time.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: yeah, and the Muppets are just gone from each other.
1: Yeah. So.
2: Wow, that actually makes a lot of sense.
1: His He had a yep. tape that was taped off TV, and this is where it, it stopped recording.
2: <laughs> it was taped by my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's it,
1: we figured it out.
0: So, so that's actually a good segue, because... Uh we we like to ask all of our guests, what's what's your history with Mobistake Manhattan, Carolyn? Like do you remember the first time you saw it?
2: And uh, and where does it rank? Yeah, right. where does it rank? Yeah. That's it. It's it's my number one of the first, actually of all of them. It's it's my number one Muppet movie, mostly because of nostalgia, because yeah. this is the one we had recorded off of HBO. By your grandma, no, this one was recorded by my mom, thankfully. So it's the whole movie. Unlike, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mary Poppins, where uh it cuts in right after the constable brings them back so i i never knew the rest of the movie but muppet's take manhattan i mm-hmm. got the whole thing including the hbo flying spaceship logo that oh, was yeah. going at the time and uh so i i have to like put that on youtube before i watch the muppet's take manhattan to get the full effect and so you've got the the hbo logo the tri star pegasus and then just the 80s-ness of muppet's take manhattan overall and you just transported back in time
1: that hbo logo is brilliant
2: i don't i have no idea what you guys are talking about i didn't we didn't
0: have hbo i've never
1: i didn't have it at the time but my my aunt had it who would bring me tapes of fraggle rock episodes Mm -hmm. it's this it, it it at first you don't so there's a longer version and a shorter version the longer version like it flies down a street and then like swoops up into the sky and you see this giant hbo logo flying the shorter version just starts with like You can just tell that it's like motion and you're inside something that's moving through space. And then I think it kind of zooms out and you realize it's the HBO logo. Is that right?
2: Yeah, it's about right. And uh, there is a making of on YouTube as well, just so everyone knows. And this is called the HBO Spaceship. (laughs) <laughs>
1: that we're in. Right. And they had to do it so. with the effects that were accessible to them at the time. So today you would yeah. just do a computer animation for this, but right. they there are miniatures yeah. and they were compositing things. And yeah, it's really impressive.
0: Man, that rules. I would like euphoria more if it started with a logo involving a
1: spaceship. And now euphoria.
0: <laughs> yeah, see see how much better that would be? Like you wouldn't even mind that that show is the most depressing thing ever made. But <laughs>
1: Right. All right. Maybe they could make um, a sad version of the the logo for that. No. They could play the HBO fanfare in a minor key.
0: <laughs> that would be every <laughs> HBO show of the last, even like. Although I like the idea that it's in a minor key and it's still on, like new episodes of Sesame Street, like that. Or <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, or, or um, what's that? What's that show on HBO for children? Looney Tunes, the Looney Tunes show. Sure, the new, the new Looney Tunes on HBO Max. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Well, any any other thoughts before we close, Carolyn? I'll start with you.
2: Um, just I I love this movie, and watching it a little more closely was it, it was uh, interesting to do because I realized I had probably remembered things a little differently from childhood, mm. and inserted yeah. little extra scenes in my head that weren't there really. But also on this watch, I I uh, rewatched the whole movie in. French, Portuguese, and Spanish because those are all available on the 2001 DVD.
0: So you watched it for you watched it three times in three different languages.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't like attentively watching it every time, but it was there, and I played yeah. it through. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, for the Portuguese viewers, the songs are not dubbed into Portuguese. Uh, you just have to listen to the regular songs. That means
1: they were oh. dubbed into the other languages.
2: They were they were in French and Spanish, but not the rat scat. And I know that there's no like words in that, but still, it's a completely different voice actor, so it's kind of yeah, jarring. Yeah. <laughs> but it's cool that they bothered
1: to do that—that that they dubbed it with Rizzo's voice, I guess.
2: No, yeah, uh, no, they just left the original draft. Yeah, oh, the they just left it. it. Oh, okay, yeah. I see
1: what you're saying. Yeah, huh. yeah, but yeah. there's but no French so the translation of- for "baba doopa, baba ba
2: <laughs> No, or at least they just <laughs> didn't want to do it at right. the time. <laughs> yeah, but uh, this song is pretty easy to translate, so. They're just so. saying goodbye. La 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 la. That's <laughs> what it is in every language.
0: Wow, that's great. Anything, anything before we go, Ryan? Uh,
1: yeah, I have a couple other things on the Empire State Building. Um, it so this was filmed in 1983. That was the 50th anniversary of King Kong, and in oh, yeah. April of that year. Uh, f- to mark the occasion, there was an 82-foot-tall inflatable King Kong hanging from the, the Empire State Building. And I encourage everyone to look up pictures of it, because it looks really cool. Uh, so, I don't know if... Uh, actually, I'm not sure when they started filming this movie. But it, it was gone by the time they filmed this, which I'm I'm sure was a good thing because they probably didn't want to capture that very short window of time with King Kong. Also, it probably would have felt like a joke that, that they didn't plan for the movie.
0: Right. Right. Especially in, like you say, in
2: this scene, like,
1: right, exactly. So, uh, um,
2: real life becomes too gaggy for Frank Oz. Yeah, sometimes. exactly. <laughs> right. um, so,
1: so when they did film these got, shots,
2: Oz punctured the inflatable King Kong. Oh, well
1: he would have. Yeah, he yeah. would have, he yeah. would have like gotten a, a really powerful, uh, blow dart gun or something, but, um, <laughs> uh, they did film these, uh, as we learned from an entry on Jim Henson's red book blog, it was, uh, September 22nd and 23rd, 1983, which, uh, notably the 23rd, that's the day before Jim Henson's birthday. So just when you see him, you know, Kermit in these scenes, just just imagine that Jim Henson was probably looking forward to his birthday cake the next day. Oh, he
2: probably was going to have one of his masquerade parties, huh?
1: Oh, did he do that for his birthday? Probably, right?
2: Yeah, why not?
1: Yeah, so maybe, yeah, maybe that was, uh, maybe that was... Because
2: I, I have seen pictures from a 1984 masquerade party but I don't know if he did it every year. Um,
1: yeah, there's a picture out there, I think I mentioned on a previous episode, of Jim Henson with uh, Juliana Donald at a at a masquerade party. So maybe that mm-hmm. was this year, or maybe that was the following year, I don't know. Um, also, uh, during a video chat uh, with Frank Oz and Dave Goles, hosted uh, by the Museum of the Moving Image this year, Frank talked about how when they scouted the Empire State Building as a filming location, the lighting looked perfect. Like, it was just, it looked exactly like, I guess, he wanted the Empire State Building to look. But when they arrived to film these scenes, the lighting was all green because it was German Day. Oh. Because the Empire State Building frequently changes the color of the the, the floodlights lighting up uh, the top of the building. Um Last night, for example, it was green and cyan in honor of Habitat for Humanity.
0: So, last night as we recording? Last
1: night as we record, yes. I'll, I'll let people, uh, if they want to Google and, and figure out what today's date <laughs> is based on that. Um, so Frank, in this video chat, said he got a crew member to bribe a guard at the building and then go all around the building and remove the green gels from the lights. <laughs> long enough wow. for them to get these wow. shots they wanted of the, the Empire State building looking the way they wanted it to. And then presumably they put them back. But I guess <laughs> you gotta him. resort to extreme measures sometimes in, in the movie making business.
2: Huh. Yeah, didn't Frank Goss talk about being annoying to his fellow castmates in that interview during uh, the
1: He Yeah. This he movie? did, especially I mean Dave Goles was not uh about to um <laughs> not about to contradict him on that point having yeah. been one of the performers who was being directed by Frank. so
2: It sounds like he may have annoyed all of New York. When Maybe, he was yeah.
1: Well, but he, he made a good movie, so it was all worth it. It's a great movie. But again, today, that's something that you would just fix digitally in post-production. Mm-hmm. It would be no big deal. Just change the color of the lights.
2: Yeah. You have to go to New York. That's true.
0: Movies are not magic anymore.
1: Not as all magic right. as they used to be. And yeah, that's all I have.
0: All right. So that brings us down to the end of another one uh listeners you can check out toughpigs.com on the internet facebook twitter instagram we're all over the place like technically we still have a tumblr
1: technically Uh, it exists
0: technically it exists carolyn where can our listeners find you
2: i've got accounts everywhere but i don't really post anything that would be interesting to people so
0: not really they they can find you ghosting all manner of platforms yes (laughs) wonderful (laughs) And listeners, if you're so inclined, give us a positive review on iTunes. Oh, and I forgot to say, you can follow Ryan on uh, Twitter at me, Ryan Roe, which is an excellent idea. I followed him for many years and enjoyed it the whole time. Uh, <laughs> Until and, you
1: got off Twitter. You didn't unfollow me.
0: No, I did not unfollow you. I I, I deleted my Twitter account.
1: Right, I feel I like we should make that <laughs> distinction. I,
0: yeah, I feel like the fact that earlier in this episode, I was like, Buddy, you're in my heart. (laughs) Would imply that I did not unfollow you on Twitter. You
1: you got so tired of me (laughs) once a week making some observation about some old anthology TV show I was watching.
0: Right, exactly. Unfollow. Yeah, Anthony
2: hates that stuff. Oh man, I hate it.
0: I was just like Ryan, why are you talking about colorized bewitch? Right. Um. (laughs) Anyways, uh, and that's the kind of content you will get when you follow at me Ryan Rowe on Twitter. Yes. So do it. All right. And uh, give us a positive review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. And tell all your friends also to join us next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye.
2: Bye.